Romans, the letter that changed the world. Tonight, obedience to the word of Christ and its, and its opposite. We finished Romans 10, 13. I'll talk about a couple of verses to kind of set a context, but we're going to pick it up at Romans 10, 14. I'll read the text from here. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? Each of those sentences begins with and. And how are they to believe? And how are they to hear? And how are they to preach? And we're meant to see it as a link. That's what the word and does. It's, it's a chain. that These things are all tied together. Middle of verse 15. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. There's the easy Old Testament quote. There are some really perplexing ones you'll see as we keep reading. But they have not all believed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing. This is the, verb, the verse we all know. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But it's nestled right in the middle of these dense kind of Old Testament quotations. 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Paul's thinking of the Jews, his, his people. Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, their words to the ends of the world, quoting the psalmist. But I ask, did Israel not understand? So first, did they not hear? Secondly, well, then didn't they understand? Those are the two questions. Did they not understand? Verse 19. First, Moses says, and this is from Deuteronomy, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. So that's kind of a strange quote. 20. Then Isaiah, back to Isaiah, is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The connection between this text and the verses immediately preceding it isn't really that complicated. If there's a universal message of salvation for Jews and Gentiles, so I get that in 10:12, Paul says there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, Gentile. No distinction. A lot of people still don't believe that. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. So, if that's the case, there's a universal message of salvation, and if the only condition of receiving salvation is believing, I get that in Romans 10, 11, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So if there's a universal message for Jews and Gentiles, the only condition is believing, the only action required is calling on the Lord, 10.13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If that's the case, okay, then all people everywhere need to hear the message so they can call in faith. There's no reverb on my voice, is there? If there is, please douse it. And it's a bit loud. 
How will people hear this message? That phrase, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, it sounds like a soundbite from a Billy Graham crusade. But that's not where Paul got this idea in Romans 10, 13. He got it from the word of the Lord in the Old Testament. He got it from that great last day text that Peter referred to on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. He got it from Joel chapter 2, verse 32, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In other words, and this is very important to Paul, he's thinking of these Jewish people and their rejection of the gospel. And why? Why they rejected the gospel. And so what Paul wants to do now is he's trying to show that this idea of the gospel for all the nations, God wanting to reach all the nations, Paul says, I'm, this is not a new concept. I'm not making this up, he says to the Jewish people. This is in your texts. This is in your Old Testament. This is what Isaiah said. This is what Moses said. This is what Joel said. They were blind to it. They didn't receive it. But Paul says, this has always been God's plan. This isn't some brand new idea. God's saving reach to the nations of the earth was God's plan from square one. Saving people through faith was God's plan from square one. However badly, the Jews distorted it. Paul's going to reinforce enforce this idea with some more quotes from the Old Testament. So here are some of the key points. You still with me? All right, point number one. Paul forms a connected chain of events necessary for anyone to be saved. It's in 14 and 15. You know these because you hear them at every missions conference that's ever been. How are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The important point here is Paul is not just listing a number of requirements for the gospel to reach people. He's not just adding up a list of ingredients. This has to happen, oh, and this has to happen, and this has to happen, and that has to happen. That's not what Paul's doing here. He, he repeats the verb how near the beginning of each question. And, and the intention of that is to lead us from point A to point B, and then from point B to point C, and then from point C to point D. So we're meant to see each question not merely as a question, but as a link in a chain. It is wonderful for people to call upon the Lord for salvation. They can't call without someone believing. They can't believe unless they hear some kind of message. They certainly can't hear a message unless somebody tells them. And no one can tell them unless they're sent. That's, that's the way it works, Paul says. You, you, take, you take any one part of that out, and it all falls apart. You, you, you look up. I think about this once in a while. You don't. But when I'm strolling across the platform, I look up at these speakers, and once in a while I think, what do those things weigh? And you get over about here, and I think... How many links, how many links in that chain have to be busted for me to be in big trouble? 
right? Just one. You take out one link, you can have a mile of good chain, but if one link is out of it, it's useless, right? So that's what Paul is doing here. You only have to remove one part. This is the way Paul describes the advance of the gospel until Jesus comes back. And he has a purpose in this progression, Paul does. Just as you can't pick which link, which link in that chain is the most important one? It's a stupid question, isn't it? They're all important. In fact, in any chain, they are, in fact, all equally important. Like, you need every one of them. They're all equally important. Paul thinks of the advance of the gospel. And he wants us to see that everyone, everyone's role is absolutely vital and irreplaceable. You don't just think about this at World Impact Sunday. This is something that drives us. That's like the engine in the tank of this church. The fuel in the tank. not just the one who goes who fulfills God's plan. Those who send are just as necessary and just as accountable as those who go. Just as accountable as those who go for faithfulness and for sacrifice. God really doesn't require more sacrifice from Deborah Surgising than from I. That's a hard concept to get my brain around. Maybe it's easier for you, but it isn't easy for me. It's very searching, isn't it? It's very searching. How many cars does Deborah have? <laughs> you know? What is she driving? In other words, God calls upon those who stay here and give and pray and send for the same measure of commitment and sacrifice as those who leave home, leave country, leave children, leave family, and go. Each link in the chain needs to be equally strong for that load to be lifted and for the gospel to go out. So there's no opting out. I guess that's what I'm trying to say here. I had one Christian... In this church, long ago, it's only happened once, stayed in my mind, said a World Impact Sunday. This is a decade ago. And this person came up to me and said, you know, I'm sorry, but missions just isn't my thing. And I didn't say it. I was, I was very good. But honestly, in my heart, in my heart, I thought, I just thought, I question your Christianity. How about Jesus? You big on him? Because he's the one who said <laughs> everybody has to go and make disciples of all nations. If by that you mean I'm not called to go as a missionary, then fine, I have no argument. But if you're not called to be a missionary, there's only one other option. You're called to be a sender. Like, it's a, just as real a calling, is what I'm saying. It's not like they have a calling and we just help them fulfill their calling. It means they have a calling 
and we have a calling, and the job doesn't get done unless we both fulfill our callings. That's a, that's a much more scriptural way to look at it. Okay, point number two. Now you get into the teeth of this passage. For unconverted Israel, all the conditions for salvation were met, Paul says, except one. That's in 16 to 20, the difficult verses. Let me just read them again, okay? But they have not all believed the gospel, so unsaved Jews. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Who's listening? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Notice the way he ties Christ in with the Old Testament. I love that. But I ask, have they not heard? Is that the problem? Have they not heard? No, that's not the problem. Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Okay, then maybe something else was the problem. I asked, did, did they not understand? No, that's not the problem either. First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. I want to talk about that quote because it's kind of hard. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me, and I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. These verses are important because they point out Paul's intention in in verses 14 and 15. While the discussion boils over about the fate of those who have never heard the gospel, I'll talk about that in a minute, the context makes it clear that that's not Paul's intention in these verses. He's not discussing those who haven't heard the gospel. Not in these verses. He's discussing people who have heard the gospel, particularly the Jews, Israel. He says it's not that they haven't heard the message. It's that they haven't obeyed the message. Romans 10, 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. And so Paul looks at unconverted Israel And he traces their spiritual blindness, not to ignorance, not they haven't heard, but to stubbornness. They they did not want to receive the truth. Their unbelief wasn't passive unbelief. It was willful unbelief. This shouldn't surprise us, because Paul's already hinted at this earlier. We looked at these uh, words in Romans 10.3. Sorry, 3.10, that's what I meant to say. 3.10, for being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit. There's the verb. They did not submit to God's righteousness. It was always by faith. They didn't want to do it that way. They wanted to do it by the law, by the keeping of the law, by their Jewish heritage, by circumcision. So in the next four verses, Paul seeks to remove two excuses for Israel's rebellious condition. He'll deal first, and this is where these quotes come in. He'll deal first with the objection that they didn't hear the message. And then he'll deal secondly with the objection that they didn't understand the message. Okay, first hearing. As far as hearing the message, Paul quotes from Psalm 19, verse 4. He does that in verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Now there's a problem here. And Paul knows. 
Paul knows that Romans 19.4 isn't talking about missionaries. It's talking about God's revelation in nature and how universal it is and how it's extended to everyone. Paul knows that. But his point is that he and the other apostles have taken the gospel to all the regions of the Jewish people at that time and that Israel couldn't claim ignorance as an excuse. So in a sense... The gospel had been available to the Jewish nation as uh, the revelation of creation was to the whole world. That's, that's what he's trying to say. As far as understanding the message, Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 32. I ask, did Israel not understand? So they heard, we know they heard, he says, because we reached all of them, all the Jewish nations. Well, then didn't they understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. And with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. I know that seems like a tricky quote, but it offers more fruit than you might think at first glance. What Israel knew was God was going to act in such a way, redemptively, that he would include the Gentiles. They knew that right from the promise made to Abraham. They knew that. And this meant that God would save by grace apart from the law. And that's this wonderful picturing of the coming of Christ, God supplying the righteousness. So Paul says that Israel had seen this prophesied in their own scriptures and that only pride kept her from coming to this truth. And the fact that Israel did understand this is obvious from the passage that Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 32. He quotes these Old Testament texts proving that Israel took the inclusion of the Gentiles in God's grace so seriously that she was jealous of what God was doing. That's what he says. Deuteronomy 32. Israel was actually jealous of what God was doing. That's a very important statement. If they were jealous of the Gentiles, it means they were aware that the Gentiles were receiving the saving grace that Israel refused. And one text says it made them jealous. The second text from Isaiah says it made them angry. That's what Paul is doing in those complicated Old Testament quotes. It was the reality of God's free, gracious work among the Gentiles that was so difficult for them to receive. Just forget that for a minute. Don't you see this? The logic that Paul is stringing together in that very convoluted way, if you want an easier way of looking at it, every time, every time, the Jewish leaders saw Jesus being gracious to people with healing grace and touch on the Sabbath, did it not drive them nuts? Didn't it? Hated it. Hated it. Jesus would go and he would meet with publicans and sinners and offer them grace. He'd call Zacchaeus down and go to his house and he went out justified and the Jews all hated it. That's exactly the quotes. This is what Paul is talking about. Only it's easier to see in the New Testament. It's just the fulfillment of this principle. The Jews were angry and jealous that God was coming to people who weren't descendants of Abraham, who didn't have the law, who didn't keep all those regulations, and God was saving them in mercy, and they hated that. Now, that's what those difficult quotes are saying, if that helps to kind of 
wrap it up a little bit tighter. Point number three. I want to just, it's a theological thing that's important to me and I just want to touch on it. If it doesn't interest you, just pretend you're listening to me. Israel's spiritual blindness was not a result of divine decree. It wasn't that God elected some people and not, and not them. It wasn't a result of divine decree, and that's a very commonly held view today. Here's where I get that. 20 and 21 of Romans 10. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. That's very gracious. 21. But of Israel, now the contrast, but of Israel, he says, can you imagine? All day long, all day long, I've held out my arms, held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Come, come. I've held out my hands to them all day. Come. Paul quotes Isaiah. He wants, to work with, he wants to work with Israel's own prophetic scriptures. That's what he's doing. It makes for hard reading, but that's his reason for it. To show that he isn't saying anything underhanded or unannounced. All this had been revealed. Israel was rebelling against God, a loving God. And of keen interest here is the way Paul quotes Isaiah 65 too. Israel has resisted God, but what makes her resistance particularly blameworthy is she resisted and refused a God who all the while was holding out divine arms to receive them and embrace them. Wasn't it God didn't want them? A more opposite picture of some hidden eternal decree of, collect, of election could not be found than this. God invited... God longed for. God waited. Israel shunned. Israel refused. And if ever we needed to see that Old Testament text still reflected in the New, you would see Jesus. Matthew 23, 37. Sitting up, looking down on the city of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often, how often, not just once, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you wouldn't. You wouldn't. If, if words mean anything, if they mean anything at all, there's only one unwilling party in that description, and it's not Jesus, right? It's Israel. It's Jerusalem. Jesus, God the Son, would, and Israel would not. That's what the text says. And, and we should never embrace any doctrine that just undoes such clear teaching. Four. Almost done. Now we come to it, don't we? If, uh, by the way, if you got the church email, I hope you sign up for it. It just helps us communicate. Go on the website, click on receive emails. You get one a week. And Chris kind of announced in there, I'm going to start 
sometime in the very near future, once a month or periodically, just doing question and answers on a Sunday night where people will email questions in, send them to Chris, and he'll kind of process them, get them to me, and I'll deal with as many as I can. And we'll just pick four or five questions and, and look at them on a Sunday night. This one always comes up. What about those who have never heard the gospel, Pastor Don? It's not their fault. And this isn't the primary part of the latter the primary subject of the latter part of Romans 10. He does, I think, deal with it in the first two verses of Romans 10. This isn't in your notes, I don't think, because I just kind of tapped it in tonight as I was thinking about it. But it's in Romans 10, 1 and 2, if you've got a Bible. Paul gives us a clue about this theological question right here. Romans 10, 1 and 2. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that's Israel, the Jews, My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He wants them saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Here is one place where Paul clearly talks about a very religious group of people. These Jews have a zeal for God, verse 2. But for all that, they clearly aren't finding salvation. We know that because Paul says his deepest desire is that they, quotes, may be saved in verse 1. So he prays for them because he knows they aren't saved, even though they have a zeal for God. But their zeal for God isn't a saving zeal for God. There's an example, as clear as can be, of people who aren't saved, have a zeal for God, and Paul prays for them that they'll be saved. The reason we have a hard time with it is simple enough. There's something about that kind of arguing we just don't like. The the problem we have is it doesn't seem like a level playing field, does it? That's the problem. We want God to play fair, With everyone, we're a democratic society. We want everyone to have the same opportunity. We believe in equal rights. And it just appeals to our sense of fairness. It's just the way it ought to be. And the problem, of course, is it really doesn't work. You don't have to go to the hidden regions of the earth to see this. Forget about the jungles for a minute. Think about the street you live on, your own street. And sure, people have probably at least heard of Jesus Christ, but their situations are hardly equal. Some homes on your street have a Christian dad to live out the life and love of Jesus right in front of the kids every day. Same street, next door, there are kids that have two parents who get drunk and fight and curse the name of Jesus. The name that their kids maybe heard at a VBS. That's all the kids ever see at home. Don't tell me those two houses, the kids have the same opportunity. They don't. They don't have the same opportunity. Think about our church, right here, Cedarview Community Church. Some... Some families take their kids to church regularly. 
Others never go. Think about society in general. Some homes are morally sane and clean. Other homes are, are just twisted dens of sex and drugs. In our own church, some families bring their kids to church about 104 times a year, Sunday morning, Sunday night, with their kids plugged into midweek children's ministries to boot. We have other families right in this church that skip church because of hockey practice. Some families come to Cedarview Community Church. They call it their church. They come 20 times a year. Some people would come 10 times a year. They would still call it their church. Some just pop in at Christmas and Easter. If you ask them what church they go to, they'll say Cedarview. Don't tell me those kids have the same opportunity in those homes. It's not the same. Is it fair? It's the way it is. You see, there is no way to make a level playing field, and you don't have to go that far away to recognize it. All we know from our text for sure is if there was some other plan, if there was some other plan for those who haven't heard the gospel, either Paul doesn't know it or he chooses not to tell us about it. But the way he talks in the text is we have to go and reach everybody. That's all we know for sure. We have to go and reach everybody everybody. And so I, I wrestle because I, I feel a real deep pride in this church. It's, it's in so many ways the number one missionary church in the whole country. In the whole country. But I just don't want us resting thinking, gee, aren't we wonderful. Like we're just scratching the surface. However many years the Lord gives you to live, me, there's a, there's a focus in this text, isn't there? The reason Jesus saved you is because he has somebody else he wants to get to heaven. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord Jesus. And everyone said, amen.